0: Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming to you live from Detroit. Brand new recording equipment and all that jazz. I know y'all are just so happy for me. Well, f- happy for us, you know. Better recording equipment uh makes will happy and the the happier will is the more I get to drink and everybody wins. <laughs> Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, We have a packed show today for you, including Paula Talk with Will later on. You're not going to want to miss it. It's fabulous as always. Uh, So, being uh, on the New York gossip scene like I am, I have my ears to the ground. I I know that doesn't really surprise anyone. Uh, In fact, I think you guys would be more surprised if I didn't have my ear to the ground. Um, one of the things that, uh, has come from that is, like, the unlikely friendship between Adele and Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you know, that kind of really took people by surprise, uh, even as I was talking about it, uh, trying to get everyone to understand, like, yeah, these two are really friends. Um, they're both at the top of their game in their respective fields, uh, which I think plays a a little bit into their friendship, honestly, um you know there there's obviously other things that play into it but so when i first heard about this uh the this next piece of gossip it was kind of surprising to me however after some thought it it actually did make a lot of sense <clears throat> Emily Redajowski is not a fan of Jennifer Lawrence's. The two have engaged in a feud. This, despite the fact that they basically run in the same circles. Uh, In fact, their group of friends have a rule where the erstwhile Katniss Everdeen and the uh, the model cannot under any circumstances be uh invited to the same social event so where did the, all this start well emily uh was writing high on the success of the robin Thicke video for um I can't think of the rape song now. The rape song that he stole from Marvin Gaye. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I should have. When I was writing these notes, like Will asked me to, I was so convinced that I would be able to remember the song name. I didn't actually look it up like I should have. That one's on me, guys. <laughs> um, but you all know the one I'm talking about. It's like Robin Robin Thicke's biggest hit. She was the girl in the video showing her, her boobs. Um, and she was up for a role in David O. Russell's Silver silver Lining Playbook. (coughs) Now, David O. Russell was not quite sold on her. And he had actually wanted an actress who had, um, more acting chops. Um you know typically something you would want with a um with, with someone who's going to be in a Oscar Oscar caliber movie uh Jennifer Lawrence eventually expressed interest and was cast in the role much to Emily's dismay in fact she was so upset about it she vowed to get revenge on Jennifer for stealing her role. So, a few years go by. Jennifer Lawrence starts dating Coke Maroney. Who is uh, in our, he owns an art gallery in New York City. Again, this was a very unlikely pairing. Um, but... According to every single one of my sources, the two, Coke and Jennifer just hit it off automatically. Uh, and the fact that he is very blessed in a certain department didn't really hurt things. Um, so, Emily found out through the grapevine that Jennifer was dating Coke. And Emily decided to seize upon this to uh, get her revenge on Jennifer. So as a model, Emily had posed naked for an artist. The artist happened to sell the painting to Coke Marone. Uh, Maroney, sorry. In any case, Emily started going around telling people that Coke was obsessed with her. And was asking her via social media outlets for a hookup. Well, of course, work got back to Jennifer and she confronted him on with the allegations He said, no, 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 it's not true. And as a sign of good faith, he gave her his passwords. Now, I had some serious questions about this. Because, I mean, first of all, I mean, it is a good look on him, right? He's handing over his passwords. He's saying, look, you can go through this. Um, But my counter was, what if he wasn't using his main accounts for this? Um, it's something that Jennifer thought of. Uh, she actually went through everything, didn't find anything damning, and she talked to some of her friends about it, including Adele. And every every one of her friends were like, look, if dude has something to hide, he's not going to be handing over his phone to you. Give him a chance. (coughs) So, one of the friends actually got screenshots from Emily and gave them to Jennifer and said, I don't know what you want to do with these. I don't even know if they mean anything, but here you go. Jennifer decided to hire an investigator. She believed Coke, but, you know... She was like, there's evidence now that say something's up. Well, the investigator started looking into things and found that Emily was setting up fake accounts and sending herself the messages. Let me repeat that one more time. Emily Redajowski, famous model, was so hell bent on getting revenge on Jennifer Lawrence, she set up a fake accounts and sent herself requests to hook up. I, and I just want y'all to imagine Will's face when I pitched the story because <laughs> that makes it so much better. <laughs> um, So what's more to all of this is that the artist actually talked to Emily before he sold the painting to anybody and said, do you mind if I sell it? He also went to the extraordinary step when he found a buyer to say, hey, I found a buyer. It's this dude, you know, here's his name and whatever. What do you think? And she was like, no, go ahead, do it. And she even signed a waiver saying that she was not going to pull any of this uh, stuff, any of these uh, stunts that she pulled. She wasn't supposed to because she signed an agreement saying that she wasn't going to accuse anyone of anything. So to say she's turned... um turn some of the, social, the New York social scene against her, it would be an understatement. Uh, and once again, of course, Jennifer Lawrence is coming out um, looking pretty damn good. <laughs> but <laughs> we are going to stay on top of this story uh, and see what else develops from it. But for right now, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I am back. So back in February, we had the exclusive that Chris Harrison would not be rejoining the Bachelor Nation. Uh, It was all about trying to uh, come to a settlement with him and getting him to bow out gracefully. Still didn't happen. But we did learn last week ...that Chris Harrison is not going to host any of the Bachelor shows going forward. So, so here's a little uh, background into what happened. ABC had known for a while that they were in trouble in terms of diversity... ...with arguably their most famous franchise um arguably their uh their highest rated um and most popular uh, they needed to find a way to um cut the cost though because ratings have been falling uh and this is true across the board. Um if you look at where if you look at ratings uh where they were and where they are now um you'll see a huge just decline um partly because nobody watches uh live tv anymore and partly um uh, because um uh, we went from basically four channels to literally thousands in- including places where you can there is no schedule. You can just pick it up, whatever you want to watch, and watch it whenever you want to. And if you miss an episode, or if, you, if one of your friends get you into a show, you can um, go back to the beginning of the show and watch from the very beginning and kind of see the, how it evolved. But broadcast networks, um, even cable networks, don't really allow that. So um there's been a very steady decline. Now you still get a a hit here and there on um, The Messenger um uh The Bachelor, any of the Bachelor franchise. Um this is us, uh, the Connors. You get my point here. <coughs> so with uh, with The Bachelor and, and his any number of spin-offs, they're usually fairly cheap to produce. <clears throat> but the cost was starting to escalate. And even with the escalating prices, ratings and ad revenue were falling. And ABC went to Warner Brothers, who owns the franchise, and said, hey, obviously we want to stay in business with you, but we got to do something. Well, their first thought was to bring on the first Black Bachelorette and the first Black Bachelor. Ratings for those seasons didn't really do anything. They didn't go up, but they didn't go down. And then uh, as, as the Bachelor season went on, there was a big revelation that uh, one of the girls who was vying for The Bachelor's heart had actually taken pictures on a plantation uh, in an antebellum. And everyone was all up in arms about it. Chris Harrison went on Access Hollywood... Uh, with with uh, the woman who had um, served as the first black bachelorette, and had uh, had a conversation with her, where he basically said things were different in twenty eighteen. We didn't know better. A firestorm of controversy enveloped him. And he had to step away from his hosting duties for, for a time. Now, here's where things get muddy, but we've had the inside track since the very beginning. Other outlets said that ABC and Warner uh, and Chris Harrison himself just wanted to write out the controversy. They figured that it would blow over, and he could, resume, he could resume his hosting duties um, within just, you know, a season or so. But it didn't happen. And it didn't happen for a couple of reasons. First of all, what he said was just ludicrous. Uh, and nothing will convince me that he didn't know how ludicrous it was. Um, and he was just trying to play company man um but he he started um talking more and more about you know forgiveness and and whatever and behind the scenes abc and warner brothers noticed hey without his salary the show actually enters back into a profitable uh, margin again. And so the decision was made to oust him. Now, this is Hollywood. This is still the entertainment industry. And they are never going to say that they did it for the money because they want you to believe that he was so invested in the Bachelor and Bachelorette's lives that he was basically their friend and and whatever. But if you look at the at, at the truth of the matter, um, the season of The Bachelorette uh, has had two former Bachelorette hosting. Readings are down, of course, but it's still winning the night. And there's not this huge revolt against the show. So for Bachelor in Paradise, which usually airs in July and August, they're going to have a rotating set of celebrity hosts. Uh, just Just to see... How that does. Uh, when, the Bachelorette comes back in the fall, I'm hearing that the same two uh, ladies who have been hosting, will again take the hosting reins. Uh, there is a slight chance they could have a permanent host by then. Um, but right now the working theory at Warner Brothers and at ABC is, um, they want former uh, bachelors and bachelorettes uh, to guide the seasons because they've already been through it and they cost less than a Chris Harrison who, who did helm the show for, uh, well, helm the franchise for 20 seasons, but don't expect Chris Harrison to go quietly into the night. He is already starting to uh, drum up controversy alleging that ABC wanted him out. I've heard that one of the campaigns he may launch is essentially him saying ABC threw me under the bus. Because they messed up. You're never going to hear him talk about his salary being the reason for his departure, though. The reason for that is because he doesn't. He actually feels like he was underpaid. He doesn't feel like he was paid enough to do what he do, to do what he did. Now, uh, you know, of course, there's both sides of the story here. In uh, one of the things that has really been. Um, forcefully talked about. We're gonna say, uh, to put it nicely, is he came on and he only did a couple of things. You know, it wasn't like he was this master of ceremonies, who presided over everything. <clears throat> the success and failure of each season rested squarely on the contestants, and the bachelor or bachelorette shoulders. This is, of course, a breaking story, and we are going to stay on top of it and bring you the latest gossip as we hear it. For right now, though, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I am back. And I have it on good authority that horror maestro and best-selling author of all time, Stephen King, has a new project in the works. Now... I know y'all are rolling your eyes saying, okay, Ed, yes, of course. He's a very prolific writer. Uh, We, You know, he talks about writing 2,000 words a day. We know he has another project in the works. Y'all are not letting me explain. (laughs) So I have done good authority uh, from an insider in the publishing industry that Stephen King is turning his eyes on a true crime case uh, that has really taken hold and fascinated him. Now, this should not be a surprise to anybody, and I'll tell you why. His book, The Colorado Kid, which came out a couple years back, uh, was inspired by cases like The Summerton Man, uh, The Isdale Woman, and uh, The Lady of the Dunes. <clears throat> um, a, lot of, a, a lot of publications falsely claimed that The Colorado Kid was um, a completely fictionalized, uh, including a change of setting, uh, version of events of The Somerton Man. However, King has said that he was inspired by a lot of these cases uh, and had to, you know, throw his own little twist onto it. And so therefore, uh, it is completely inaccurate to say that the Somerton Man was fully, uh, fully um, responsible for the Colorado Kid. So, before y'all ask, I was not given the exact (coughs) case that he's working on. But what I do know is a couple of things here. Uh, His son, Joe Hill, uh, rose to infamy in the true crime community because of a theory he... uh, Posited for the Lady of the Dunes. Uh, uh, for those of you who don't know what the Lady of the Dunes case is, I'm going to just do it really fast. Um, and at some other point, I'm going to talk Will into letting me do uh, a, a full episode, um, either of this case or of uh, cases like it. But for the moment, let's just do this real fast. Lady of the Lady of the Dunes um, was a lady who was found in the summer of nineteen seventy four. She had been killed. Uh, her hands were cut off, and she was strangled. Uh, some of her teeth were pulled out. Uh, we're guessing, f- um, for identification purposes. there's never been a solution to this case uh to the woman's identity or to who killed her and why so with that kind of out of the way joe hill was watching uh the 40th anniversary uh uh edition of jaws and he found a woman who looked just like the composite sketches of the Lady of the Dunes. Joe Hill is, of course, Stephen King's son. So one of the biggest bets that we have going right now is that Stephen King might be working on this story. Uh, It happened in Cape Cod so it's very near and dear to him um you know he most of his settings are in new england so uh, that definitely bolsters the chances that this is something that he uh he would be interested in uh and as i mentioned he uh did base um some of his book the colorado kid on on this case. And it is one of the only cases where I kind of asked my source um, if it was this case that I didn't get immediately shot down. <clears throat> uh, it was this one and the Isdale woman that I didn't get completely shut down. Um, the Somerton man. I uh, was also not necessarily shut, shut down or shot down rather. <coughs> um, all that we said about that was there was a lot of ink, already about him. So. With with that. We can posture guesses as, as to what the book is, um, but as my source of said, this is a really big departure for him. Outside of his on-writing book, he has never really ventured into uh, nonfiction. So, the publisher is anticipating this being a book event for the year um, when it's published. <clears throat> what we're hearing right now is a first draft is due... Ah uh, later this summer, with uh, fact checking uh, happening well into the fall, uh, a second draft will be asked likely asked for um, sometime in the winter, and an announcement of the project will be made. Sometime next spring. Uh, Um, now, I, I tend to stick with the Lady of the Dunes, um, as the subject because of his son. And he is known to work with, with his son. Um, I believe there's, he wrote a book with his son, Owen, um, which was a bestseller, of course, because his name was attached to it. Um, and so, part of the part of my speculation, and again, it was not shut down, shut down, um, by my source. Um, was that this was going to be, a co-authored book. Um, and the research, you know, if, if you're looking very carefully at things, it would actually make a lot of sense that, um, that this is a project that he has tied himself to. Um, you know, having done some research for his own book, uh, his son being considered, um, one of the most, uh, famous theorists, theorist on the case uh, all of that adds up to uh this being um something that the um publisher would want and that king and his son would want now just for argument's sake um You know, the Isdale woman, it could perhaps be a little more up his alley Uh, since she was uh, burned. uh, There were uh, a lot of uh, sleeping pills in her system, uh, which has led some people to believe that she committed suicide, Uh, although there's not a very strong case for that. Um, and just overall, it would seem to be more up, uh, ceiling King's Alley to do something with a little more of a dark bent to it. Uh, Um, but we won't know, at least for a little while, but I'm going to stay on the story, of course, and as soon as I have any more information, I will bring it to you. But for right now, I'm going to take a break. And I'll be right back. And I'm back. We are going from... A real-life horror to... Well, real-life horror. Just with no murder involved. Yet. (laughs) So... The divorce of Kelly Clarkson and Brandon Blackstock has uh, um, been interesting, to, to say the least. Um, you know, it was a shock when they announced that they were getting divorced uh, last year. And through the press and the court system, things have gotten uglier and uglier as time has gone on. Uh, It started with Kelly's former father-in-law and Brandon's father suing her for breach of contract saying that she owed him $1.6 million uh, in fees. (coughs) Now, Brandon and his father expected Kelly to pay that and keep her mouth shut. They were very surprised when Kelly countered and said, not only do I not owe you anything, but you illegally represented people uh, because you don't have a talent agent license. Uh, So, I don't owe you anything, and I think you should pay me back all the money I've paid you. Boom. Now, this sent the Blackstock men into a panic because they hadn't expected Kelly to hit back quite so hard. So, Brandon, Brandon's next move was to ask for full custody of the children. And for almost a half million dollars in child support every month. Once again, he was rebuffed. Um, Kelly was given full custody. uh, And to date, she has not been asked to pay any child support to Brandon Blackstock. Frustrated that Kelly seems to be coming out the winner at every turn. (coughs) Brandon has resorted to spinning lies about his soon-to-be ex-wife in the tabloids and gossip pages. But there's only one problem with this. It's not working. <laughs> Kelly is truly that beloved that um, all of his all of his um, his tactics are just not working. Uh, and. Kelly is not lifting a finger here. I just have to say that, like Kelly is being a badass and <laughs> just like you no, know, and letting his slimy reputation speak for itself. Now. Of course, uh, tabloids like the National Enquirer have run stories alleging, you know, Kelly's unhappy or Kelly is, you know, harassing her guests on her talk show Um, or Kelly's drinking too much and pills are worried. However, none of this is true Uh, and Blake Shelton, who... Kelly works with on the voice and has he has appeared on Herschel uh more than just about anyone else has promised to stick by his his buddy and offered to release a statement to the press fully blasting Brendan's t- Blackstock now this is a little bit amazing because Brandon Blackstock manages and represents Blake Shelton. (laughs) Um, And in fact, Brandon has taken credit for Kelly getting the gig on The Voice um, quite a bit, actually. Uh, um, He says if it wasn't for him, she would never have got the job. This is refuted by uh, The Voice producers And just about everyone else in the entertainment industry saying, if anything, Brandon almost lost her the gig. Uh, Nobody particularly likes him. And it is widely believed that the voice moved in and snatched her up uh, with a very generous uh, compensation package because she was about to sign on the dotted line with... ABC rival, American Idol. Now, for those of you who are unaware, which should be nobody, because I talk about Kelly Clarkson ad nauseum, and I know how much y'all hate that, but according, um, according to multiple sources, I'm sorry, Kelly actually started her career on American Idol, winning the very first season. And according to multiple sources, uh, ABC had made her a very generous offer to join uh, the judges' table. And in fact, she had been offered right around the same amount. That Katy Perry ended up uh, making. So why didn't she take the American Idol gig? That seems to come down to. One really frank comment. In that. uh, Nobody was sure that the show was going to get picked up. And a $25 million deal is worthless if there's no show to back it up. Now, of course, there are some skeptics to this saying, well, you know, Kelly Clarkson being attached would have guaranteed a pickup. Uh, um, which I can, I can definitely see. Uh, there There is some merit to that. But this was also during the time when she was uh, launching her new, uh, a new CD, her most current CD, uh, Meaning of Life. And uh, that could have also played a, a bit part in it as well. Now, uh, insiders at both The Voice, um, The Voice, NBC, American Idol, and ABC have all said that where there's smoke, there's fire, and that Kelly was definitely approached. Um, And it is also believed that Brandon steered Kelly towards The Voice rather than American Idol for one very important reason. He was of the belief that if he had two coaches sitting on the uh sitting in the chairs, then he would have more leverage to get a producer's credit. And that's where we come where we circle right back to Slimy. Uh and and his near campaign has thus far completely failed uh at every level um and it's not really much as su- much of a surprise to anyone that uh he's using these tactics uh and that he is attempting to um that he's attempting to do this because he is jealous and resents Kelly's success he loved it when they were together because it meant more money for him to spend However, once once the divorce was uh, put into play and he realized he was losing his meal ticket, that's when all hell broke loose. And it's also when he started realizing he needed a brand new con. Unfortunately, his newest con isn't really working. And I don't foresee it changing uh, in his favor anytime soon. But for right now, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And we haven't quite acknowledged this yet, but it is June. It is Pride Month. So happy Pride, y'all. I have been out for a long time and, you know, I just look at how things have changed since I came out, um, and everyone is so accepting and, um, so wonderful. Um, it wasn't always this way, um, you know, I, I had it fairly easy, thank, thank God. Um, but I look back, you know, I, I do a lot of reading about queer history and, and all that. Um, you know we don't have pride because things were so easy, you know um pride came about because the cops were targeting us uh we were oppressed, we couldn't get married um in fact, one of the um, one of the best conversations I've ever had with will um as my friend, I was explaining to him how difficult it was. Um, for me, not, you know, not knowing, um, let me rephrase this. Uh, it was, it was very difficult for me knowing growing up, uh, that I would never get married. So I vowed never to get married. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where, since it wasn't an option for me, Um, you know, I just, I dealt with it. Um, but over time, uh, we've had icons come out and really just, uh, change the game, including Lady Gaga. Um, as much as, uh, as much as she's reviled now, Ellen, uh, we cannot deny that Ellen is a trailblazer. Um, for LGBTQIA plus people. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Billy Porter, uh, you know, and, and the list goes on. Uh, those are just some of, um, Adam Lambert, those are just some of the people that come to mind um, currently. Uh, George Michael even. Um, and... We are now living in an era where a lot of conservatives allege that people come out just to help their career rather than it hurting. (coughs) Um, Demi Lovato came out as uh, non-binary. I believe Miley Cyrus is uh, identifying as pansexual. Um I cannot remember his name right now. Um, but he's gonna be Ezra Miller. Uh, has identified as non binary and I believe um uh, I I believe Pan. Um but the point is, uh, conservatives are now saying like if you come out you automatically get a career in Hollywood and whatever. Let me tell you, it is not really that easy, people. Um, If it was really that easy, Drunk Gossip would be the number one podcast in the world, and I'd be raking in millions. And I wouldn't be hustling at every turn. I'm just saying, okay? (laughs) Um, But um, I read a story the other day, and it really warmed my heart. Uh, David Archuleta, who competed on Season 7 of American Idol, uh, did an Instagram post where he came out as part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, In the post, he said that in 2014, he came out as gay. Uh, But that didn't quite feel right um, because, in his words, he felt an attraction to both genders. Or the same amount of attraction to both genders. Uh, which was not very much. Uh, so he said, you know, he might be asexual. Um, and, and he just talked about, you know, being himself and all that. And it really struck a chord with me. Uh, that this, this man has had such a really... Um, tough time dealing with, uh, trying to discover who he is, but he's still coming out and trying to help people. Um, you know, and... One of the things that I've always uh, said to people is, I believe sexuality is on a spectrum. Um, nobody is completely straight, no one's completely gay. Um... And you know, despite my younger self being a douchebag, bisexuality does exist. Um, and it's not 50-50, uh, you know. and But I look at things and first of all, the more you know, I think really uh, helps to guide the way. Knowledge and education are most definitely essential uh, pieces of light to, to help guide us to where we need to be. There is no other way to say that. Now, I also want to point out that there is... Um, there is a divide in the LGBTQIA plus community where there are some gay men who don't believe that bisexuality exists. There are some lesbians who don't believe it. Um, there are some people who fight about, um, asexuals or whatever. The only group that needs to be excluded from this community are the pedophiles. Pedophilia, not part of our community never was, never will be. But everyone else, come join us, you know? Um, My own journey, I kind of went through a little bit of the same thing uh, that David Archuleto is going through. Um, You know, he talked a lot about how his Mormon faith plays a, a significant role here. Uh, and And help shaping not only who he is but his views on sexuality and sexual orientation and i wrote um I wrote a piece uh a- cu- about a month or so ago where I talk about my own um, my own coming out stuff um I did it under the um, the blanket of Colton Underwood coming out. Um, but essentially, I was told by two different priests that if I chose to be gay, I was going straight to hell. And wherever those priests are now, I hope they are kissing the devil's fanny in hell for what they did to me and other gay people. God may forgive, Joe Biden may want to lower the temperature here, but not me. Fuck them and fuck any religious leader who uses the punishment of hell to keep a scared person in the closet. Let them burn like the motherfuckers they are. Here's the thing. This hate towards the LGBTQIA plus community doesn't stem from anything that's actually in the Bible. Point blank and period. Because if it did, slavery would still be an option. If it did, eating selfish would not be an option. And if these people actually understood what the Bible was saying when it with the passages that they're citing the 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 passages are actually citing and saying don't be a pedophile. But that doesn't fit into the narrative of the Christian conservative right or other assholes who think that it is a sin to be anything other than straight, white, cisgendered, and rich. To which I say, read the fucking Bible. Jesus wasn't hanging out with the church leaders and the tax collectors. He was hanging out with the sinners. And he was teaching the sinners. And with that, I'm going to hand things over to Will with Politalk. Thank you all so much for listening. And coming up next is Will with Politalk.
1: Welcome back, folks. I'm producer Will, and this is another questionably exciting episode of Politalk Nationally and internationally, this was the week of no, with most of our major stories concerning stalled political initiatives, rebuffed international advances, and in one case is the rejection of a longtime leader's grip on power. Let's get started at home. Earlier this week, the much-hyped infrastructure talks between Biden and a group of Republican senators, led by Senator Shelley Capito broke down after Biden's most recent trillion-dollar proposal, which he'd cut down from his initial plans by more than half, proved to still be too much for Capito's group to swallow. The Republicans now oppose all facets of the Biden infrastructure plan. An alternative group led by Senator Kirsten Sinema of the Democrats is working on a... Plan that would add roughly five hundred seventy two billion in new spending. Sinema, who has spent a lot of her early capital in Congress attempting to acquire bipartisan support, is confident that her plan will be able to pick up the ten Republican votes necessary to get it passed. However, it's unclear whether or not that is the case. Especially since minority leader and Famously disciplined whip Mitch McConnell hasn't made his stance on the proposal clear yet. On the other side of the Atlantic, the G7 summit between America and its major European allies started off with rosy photo shoots and press releases, but quickly grew acrimonious. Like a lot of international problems, it's the English's fault. As recently as Saturday, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson... ...affirmed his commitment to delaying the implementation of customs checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Eighteen months ago, Johnson and his ministers signed a deal with the EU... ...agreeing to put the additional customs checks in place... ...in exchange for keeping an open border between Northern and Southern Ireland. However, Johnson and his government decided to roll back the deal... ...after an outbreak of the Unionist violence in Northern Ireland earlier this year. European authorities, particularly Germany and France, were incensed by the UK government's unilateral decision, particularly given their history of making agreements regarding Brexit that they've later gone back on or not abided by. Johnson accused his colleagues across the channel of being inflexible for refusing to let him renegotiate But Biden has pushed back strongly against Johnson's comments and his new plan, saying that the English leader and his government signed the treaty and need to abide by its terms. The spat has sparked fears of a trade war between the UK and the EU. One that could be disastrous for the island nation, given how shaky their relationship with their other major ally, which is to say us, is at the moment. Lastly, we're going to follow up on a story that we covered earlier in our, dare I say, our most controversial podcast of the season so far. In Israel, lawmakers voted today to form a coalition government led temporarily by Orthodox leader Naftali Bennett, ending Benjamin Netanyahu's 12-year tenure as Prime Minister of the Country. The coalition government is composed of eight different parties from across Israel's political spectrum, parties that, at the moment, seem to have little in common beyond wanting to end Netanyahu's reign. The former prime minister's rule has long been contentious but grew increasingly so over the last few years, as he faced trial for corruption and courted ever more extreme elements of Israel's right wing in order to stay in power. His government has been effectively paralyzed since 2018, as despite controlling the largest share of parliament, his party was unable to find enough willing partners to form a coalition. Netanyahu has vowed to continue the fight for his post. He called the new coalition a dangerous left wing government, saying that it didn't have the strength to stand up to Iran or to the U.S., and hoping that its leaders will ruin the economy as little as possible so that his party can fix it when they return. Israeli political observers, however, expect his continued presence in Parliament to help the new government out significantly, as aversion to his policies and style are the principal factors uniting the governing coalition at the moment. And that's all for the Week of No, folks. Tune in next time for updates on whatever fresh hell rose up while this episode was in post. Thank you all for listening, and as always, cheers.